Hello, hello, everybody. This is No Shook Flick Moments, and I am your co-host, Remy. Hi, Remy. I'm your other co-host, B. Shit! This is when I say this is No Shook Flick Moments. No, you did fine. Did I? Because we usually say no chick flick moments and then introduce ourselves and then go, and today. And and this is our Supernatural Watchcast, and today. And <laughs> today. See. That's how it's it our... goes. Yes. I was I was I was momentarily so proud of myself. I'm like, oh my god, I, I got it right. And then I doubted, I doubted. You can't doubt. You gotta do it. <sighs> you just gotta go. You gotta go. Yes. yes. Uh <laughs> hi guys. And today, <laughs> today is our part two of season 15, episode 13, Destiny's Child. Yes, part two, because, 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 this episode. <laughs> because this episode, because time. I, I pretty much took up half my notebook on this one, so. I'm like, time has passed, but our opinions are still as baffled as they were <laughs> days ago. I I was I was thinking about last week's episode and I'm like, oh, I didn't call any of my salt rounds. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't doing very well either. I felt <laughs> like I found my curse meter and then I just like cranked it to eleven. And I'm like, everything's a fucking this. <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> I didn't really either until hindsight was like, you realize that like you found one part of the dictionary, you just committed to it. <laughs> so that's me every day. So <laughs> welcome. Yes. Welcome to so, the club. So last week we mm-hmm. ended off with Sam and Dean deciding they have to skedaddle out of hell just in time for Cass to skedaddle into the empty. Yes, he needed Jack to kill him just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to get into that. We did that (laughs) last week. Cass is in the empty and he's calling for Ruby when all of a sudden a different demon appears. Rachel! Rachel, a.k.a. Meg. Uh, Hey, Clarence. I was so happy to see her and like the throne that they gave her, the Chardonnay, just, it was a delightful surprise. The Chardonnay fucking sent me. I swear to God. It wasn't even a red. It was a Chardonnay. I love it. I, I, I love her. Yes. But it's not really her. It's the shadow pretending to be her. He went with a demon theme. Oh, Cass's face, though, when he turned and he saw Meg, Cass Cass went so soft, so fast, I wanted to die. Yeah. Oh, he, he was, he just, like, the sun came across his face. It was so cute. Yeah, and, like, it's been seven years since she's been on screen. And, like, his face was doing the same thing that my face was doing. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but alas, it wasn't meant to be. It's not Meg. It is the entity, and and the entity is relishing in taunting Cass in this way. Yes, the entity just does not care that Cass believes he's here on death's request. It 
is saying that, well, I might be allies with death, but I ain't allies with you. I I want to take a second to dig into the the wording of this because this conversation between Cass and the entity uh I I think we mentioned last week that this what contributed to how we were feeling about Billy this episode yes and how we're supposed to be how the audience is supposed to perceive Billy and maybe some shifting shifting those shifting perceptions or yes yeah yeah, because the start of the episode, we saw Dean casting some doubts or just uncertainties because Billy's plan is so in the dark for them. And we're seeing further evidence with the entity here that Billy is making promises to other figures on the board and isn't clearing these promises with anybody. Yeah. Cass, at this point, is kind of feeling confident in their promise. Yeah, Cass has that confidence in saying, uh, I'm here, I need Ruby. I'm on, I'm on a mission from death, so you better listen to me. And Cass is not afraid of the entity. I think that he has, as he said to Jack when he was still... In the land of the living. <laughs> uh, it, it won't take me now. I'm... Uh, we still have a deal. But... Yeah. But... And, like, that deal was about a very specific circumstance. Mm-hmm. And it's putting a lot of faith in a figure that despises you. And we see the disdain at the beginning here because... The entity as Meg clearly doesn't want to help and is like poking at him, calling him pizza man, Mm -hmm. but does reluctantly allow Ruby to wake so that Cass can interview her. Yeah, yeah. She's taunting him. He says, no, fuck off. I'm here for a reason. And I loved uh, uh, Rachel's, ugh, you're no fun. Mm -hmm. It was so Meg. Meg's cadence is just... I missed it. <laughs> yeah. It was she has a very particular speaking style that I really enjoy. Me too. But as you said, yeah, uh, d- uh, we we get Ruby in the form of a glowy fire ball of fire something. I guess, I guess it's just the embodiment of what a spirit would be in the empty before it wakes. I was just hoping that that wasn't supposed to be some sort of, like, demonic representation of a soul, because I'm like, I didn't go 15 years talking about a demon's true face for this bullshit, okay? (laughs) So, like, the idea that this is a soul is, like, offensive to you? I think, uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, because... The thing about the quote-unquote true face of the demon is, is that it is a human soul that has been tortured and twisted beyond any humanity. So, yeah. so like, my, my Lovecraftian mind says demons are these horrific 
Lovecrafting is not the right word. What's the fucking Dante? Oh, Dante. <laughs> uh, I I read. <laughs> you know words. <laughs> I know words. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think of these like demonic horrors of a of a human soul, and I mean it's fine. I they're not going to do that on Supernatural. Uh, but when I saw this like. Like, um, Ruby is here now, and she's this little, uh, f- a fire softball. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, no, no, let's not. I think that they were like, we can't just have Genevieve lying on the floor in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I, she, she fucking faded out, like, Sirius passing through the veil. Why, why couldn't she have come in the same way? We gotta do something fancy. <laughs> we made a ball that was ruby in tone. Small, small nitpick. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But Ruby, she's asking, where is she? And Cass explains, dead. And he immediately starts asking about the occultum. And Ruby rolls her eyes at NAL's <laughs> version of the story, telling that it's in hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came to her, she came to me. And when Cass mentions Sam and Dean's names, Ruby says, oh, you know, I like the big lug uh-huh. until he killed me. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. And, yeah, she's going into um her version of the story that we saw earlier in the episode, this meet uh, a, a between... Uh, Joe and Ruby and somehow some fucking how this story makes even less sense than the last one yeah because she is correcting the story saying that Anael came to her offering the occultum as a place that they can go if the Michael versus Lucifer showdown end of the world happens Mm-hmm. Because there's a high chance that at least one of them would die. And their plan B in the New World Order could be working together, provided that they both survive. So Anael knows the occultum is a place as well as a thing and is offering it out. And the place to survive would be there in the occultum. But exactly, she's offering it out. Like, what? What? Joe is the one... Who has the thing? Why is she bringing Ruby in? Why did she give it to Ruby for Ruby to hide it away? If I, it does feel a little flimsy because we see Joe as this character. Like the last scene we had with her was her saying, "Don't have any friends. They always ask too much." And yet we see in this part here that she's extending a hand. And, I mean, she's doing it under the guise of, we can still be business partners at the end of the world. I'm like, doing what? When the apocalypse (laughs) happens, like, what are you going to be doing? But it does feel like a strange move for her to reach out to this demon and offer safe passage, essentially, through the apocalypse. Exactly. The only reason that Joe would do this would be because she wanted a friend. But it's not even portrayed in that fashion. It's portrayed like it's a strategic rationale move. 
And yet we know Ruby as being this diehard Lucifer fan. Like she was willing to die. She was willing to kill Lilith to have this plan go in place. Like she knew what the end result would be for Lilith and she knew her part in this and she played it perfectly to get Sam to the point where he would fulfill his role too. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's no reason why Ruby would be pulling a Crowley right now in, no, this is bad for everybody. We should, you know, I need to cover my butt. Yeah. And particularly when, again, Ruby didn't have any sense of angels walking the earth at this time, as conveyed in the season four opener. Mm-hmm. And yet, here she is already seemingly... They're presented as old friends. Yes. But I'm trying to get along the whole prophecy, all the steps that are required to make the 66th seal break and to have Lucifer actually release. Like, the righteous man returning from hell is one of those things or at least breaking in hell I should say and so I'm just like it just muddies up the questions of how much she understood of her role because in season four we're really given the sense that she's a mastermind like Mm -hmm. she's playing her cards close to her chest and understands everything and yet when we're given all these graying or muddying features in this episode. All of a sudden it's like, well, how certain was she? How much did she know? It just retroactively raises too many questions for my liking. It retroactively diminishes her character. Yeah. So so we just have to not let it. We just have to... I mean, we already know that this is all nonsense, canon-wise. Yeah. Not a single piece of it makes sense. So we can't take this and and project anything that we're seeing of this Ruby onto the past Ruby. Because to me, it's like, it, it makes it shallow. Like, she's she's a con woman. She consorts with angels. Is that the word? Consort? Okay. (laughs) And she returns people their souls for money. That doesn't seem like the Ruby we know. No, absolutely not. And and she's, you know, we know that she had, like, great conviction in the apocalypse. And one thing that rubbed me wrong in this scene, it's when... NIL says, now I know that you think you're in good with Lucifer. I know you think you're buddy, buddy or whatever. You're going to, you're going to pull through at his right hand. Um, But she didn't know Lucifer. She just had faith in him. Yeah. Like she said, he is our God. It's, it's just weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, she had she didn't have those kinds of expectations. She was just she she was a she zealot. Was just like, a zealot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it also retroactively harms Anael's character too because again, she you either have her completely out for herself or you have her being more sympathetic and the first time we see her 
and the plan she puts to try and kill Sam and Dean while they're in hell make her unsympathetic and stone cold. And then this scene, she, for some reason, gives the occultum to Ruby to hide. And then Ruby was the only one who knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was like, just think think about how this exchange went. Joe says, hey, I have the occultum. Do you want to come with me? Yeah, sure. Okay, here. You keep it for now. Okay, but I don't trust you enough to tell you where it is. Yeah. So it's lost forever. Like, yeah. what? What? Uh, that that makes no sense. It, yeah. it makes absolutely zero sense. It's absurd. I'm I'm with you with what you said during our after talk, which was like, if they had just tweaked the story a bit, where it could be Anael had it at one point, Ruby stole it, but she suspects she knows where it's hidden. Then you could have her work with Sam and Dean towards trying to find it and then try and screw them over at the end. Yeah. And they manage to outwit her or whatever you want to do. Yeah, because here we have Anael saying, hey, the occultum is a place. It's a place where we can ride out the apocalypse. And we just had Sam and Dean earlier in the episode tell her God wants to retcon the world. He's he's gonna he is going to destroy everything. So what would be like it's such a A B C de facto Anael will want the cultum back so yeah. that she can ride out the apocalypse. So that she will yeah. survive God's wrath. So exactly. she should have conned the Winchesters into helping her find it again and then tried to screw them over. Yeah, it would have been uh, just as engaging plot. Like, maybe it was just the mechanics of it. They didn't want to work out. Like, I... I not going to trace down that trail too far but yeah there's just a lot of why what why that's going on with the ruby on il plotline so so many times during this episode i was just giggling to myself over what you said last week which was i i wish i had this kind of confidence i wish i could just say whatever bullshit i wanted and oh my god yeah <laughs> Like, I'm talking to you just before we start recording about, like, oh, like, I stand in my own way when it comes to my writing. And yet, here we have two people on a <laughs> writing team just brazenly making whatever they wish canon. And, like, with such confidence. Yeah, this is what's <laughs> happening on the screen. And then have a team behind them being like, yeah, we're going to edit. We're going to put the VFX. It's going to be what people tune into this week. I'm like... Just to have that gumption. <laughs> Just a fraction. Like, give me a hit of that. I'll do my best. <laughs> oh my god. Well, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just, you can't look at it too hard. You can't, it, it, yeah. it is very, it is very, you know, it, it doesn't go much past the topsoil. You can't dig too deep. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to leave our impressions of the episode quite superficial because unfortunate implications get circled a lot. <laughs> Continu continuity issues, unfortunate implications. Uh, maybe I should have played bingo. <laughs>
But you know why I didn't? You know why I didn't? Because the free space of a buck living bingo is kind of boring. And for once, buck living, <laughs> I gotta hand it to you. You didn't. You, you didn't hit it this time. Yeah. I mean, it was a delightful monstrosity. I, like, really enjoyed it and hated it. Like, like it was- I'm so delighted. And just absolutely appalled. <laughs> it was a lot of things, but I don't think uh, boring. I don't think there was any room for boring there. Nope. <laughs> so, so Ruby tells her story, and and Cass says, okay, well then, where is it? Does NIL know where it is? Ruby says, no, you can't trust her as far as you can throw her. Only I know where it is. And I could tell her, you can trust, I could tell you, you can trust me on one condition. Yes. And so she lays out her ultimatum as being, if you promise to get her out of the empty, she'll tell you where the occultum is. Yeah. You just, well, first, she elaborates on why she's so desperate to get out. I mean, anyone would be desperate to, to escape death, but there's there's more oppression than we ever thought there was, even in the empty. Yes, because Ruby is revealing to us for the first time that the empty is full of sorrow and despair. And angels and demons are just perpetually dreaming about their regrets forever. And Cass is just like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's rough. Oh, that's that's a big hit. It's, I mean, it's a big hit to everything that we thought about the empty. And unfortunately, this is one of the things that you can't just say, okay, that that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You, you can't just toss the baby out with the bathwater on that one. This kind of retcon on the empty is, I think, something that we should take as true canon. Yeah. And like how I was processing this was... Our initial understanding of the empty was a nothingness. Like, you don't even know that you're there. You're asleep. Mm -hmm. You're just numb, essentially, in adidum. And what is happening now, I feel like, you could attribute to the entity being awake. Because we already know that the entity can read their occupants minds Mm -hmm. and glean anything all the like really spiny painful parts of their memories and can use it against them and so i feel like the entity being awake perhaps is just like this corona of sorrow and misery that is just effused in the entity now that the entity is awake yeah, bringing some sort of awareness to what was previously nothingness. Yeah, because if the entity is awake and agitated, then who's to say that the occupants of this space are not affected by that? And B, I have to tell you, I'm just so, so very glad that you can bring this uh, perspective to the table. 
it's my break dancing backflip. <laughs> but it's but it's so needed here because if we were going to say, well, you know, I I know that the empty was supposed to be an internal nothingness, but mm, J.K. not really. That, like I said, it was a big hit. I hated it. I was so upset because it's just like sometimes Supernatural takes the things that we really that were really cool or that we really loved about a character or a concept or some piece of the world in Supernatural, and then and then tries Cheat to him? yeah, and then cheats it, and ay ay ay. And this was one of those things, you know, we talked about it a lot with death and how they seem to be, you know, moving away from the, from what we love about death. Um, in here, I, I felt pretty betrayed by, uh, what we, this quote unquote new information that we were learning about the, the empty. Yeah. Because now it feels like even if our characters are able to defeat God or essentially save the world from future machinations, that all of our like beloved angels or demon characters are suffering and will be suffering forever and ever because of the nature of the empty. Yeah. And where does that leave us? Like, does that give any satisfaction to think like... Anna, Gabriel, Hannah, Samandriel, Meg, like, Crowley, Crowley, yeah, all of these characters now we know are going to be miserable forever and ever. And that Cass, when he has this empty deal looming over him, will have that fate as well. It's like, wow, that doesn't feel like you guys can just leave that there for the end of the show. You now have seven episodes to change this. Yeah. And you just introduced it. Eight episodes left. Yeah. Now, luckily, on that, I I am a firm believer that we that we are going to change it. I think that we're making the empty worse, a worse fate solely because we are building up reason to change it. I want to believe, I want to hope, but I am just nervous because we're getting so close to the end. And sometimes it just feels like we haven't seen hide or hair of the fact that heaven is crumbling. Yes. We haven't heard anything about what is going to be the solution to that. And where is it going to fit? Like, where is this going to fit? Where are we going to fit in fixing the empty? I was disappointed that we went to purgatory with no um, subtext or speculation on on uh, purgatory as an afterlife because I have felt we've talked about it earlier in this season that we have been kind of revisiting the concepts of the afterlife, the various afterlives of this world, and yeah. how they are lacking. Um, and then when Purgatory came along, I was like, oh, yay, good. We're going to bring that in as an unsatisfactory afterlife to add on to the pile. And then that will, you know, contribute to the end of the series being a restructuring of everything. Yeah. But, but then the narrative failed to deliver 
And I started to doubt too, like, well, are we really going to do this? But I have to, I have to have faith and I do. This is my vision of the end and, and I really want to see it done. So. I hope, I hope. I hope, I hope, I hope. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, about at this time, we have Sam and Dean returning from hell and they're in the library Jack's there, and they find Cass's body <laughs> slumped over in a chair, quote-unquote, unconscious, and they start asking Jack, what the hell? Yeah, they they come in from the rift, and, and immediately it's like, what the hell? He's an angel. He doesn't go unconscious. What the fuck? Yeah, and Jack confirms that Cass is dead. I mean, kind of, hmm. for now. And Sam <laughs> is just, What? <laughs> well, you know, hopefully we'll be able to bring him back, but he wanted to go to the empty to hopefully find Ruby and hopefully find out the location of the oculum and hopefully, again, be able to come back and, and Sam is, no, that's way too many hopefullys. Jack, please, my son. <laughs> Dean just going like, bring him back now. And... Jack goes and gets the flask, and now we can feel there is this clock going. Okay, so is Cass going to get pulled back? And if he does get revived, will it be before he gets the information from Ruby? Yeah, that is the immediate uh, concern here. Because, exactly, it's that ticking clock, because he has not gotten the information yet. But now we're bringing him back. But we go back to the empty, and Ruby is saying... you. Cassiel, you obviously have connections. I'm just asking that you try. Like this place, this is misery. I please try. And she, yeah. and it's she's not bargaining. She is pleading. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's why Cass, um, with real empathy. You know, it's it's one part empathy because he experienced the same afterlife himself, and one and one part needing to get the information but but he sees this desperation in in ruby and he says yes i'll i'll try yes and so since he's agreed she leans in to whisper the details into his ear and once this is completed the entity calls back Cass. And says, okay, you got what you wanted, but do you think that you can just flit back home after that? Yeah. And Cass says, you can't keep me here. We have a deal. And again, I'm like, Cass, you're putting a little bit too much faith in this deal that you made with... Especially since the deal... I mean, I can't... Okay, I didn't want to get into it, but you know what? I'm going to get into it. Because the deal that he made was take me and leave Jack alone. You can take me. And that was the deal that the empty took. My life for Jax. And it was on the entity's just flit of fancy that it said, but you know what? Not yet. I I, yeah. I choose not to take you yet. And... And I am going to wait until you least expect it. I'm going to wait until you are truly happy. I'm going to wait until you feel the sun shine upon your face. And then 
when you're at your highest, I will take you. But that was, again, just just because the entity said so. Yeah, because it showed a vindictive desire to kind of rub salt or just to make sure that Cass suffers. Mm -hmm. And that isn't necessarily when Cass is like, okay, deal. Like, Cass agreed before this condition was placed. So ultimately, they're sitting there like, well, that can just be the cherry on the top. Ultimately, the deal is that the entity will take you. At any point, it wants to. Yeah. And so when Cass does that reminder, the entity just does not take the cake. It clenches its fist, bringing Cass to his knees and just basically makes him wish he was dead. Yeah, yeah. When you're in my realm, I can do whatever I want with you. Yeah. And this is where that deal ultimately gets brought up. And, like, the deal of, well, I'm working with death, you know? Cass mm-hmm. says, Jack said we're on the same side. We're working together against Chuck. But the entity is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm on death's side. And when her plan works, I finally get to go back to sleep. So Cass goes, that's what she promised? She can do that? Like, again, this is the first that we're really seeing of a glimpse into Billy's bigger plans. Yeah, yeah. And this is the 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 wording that I wanted to dig into because I think it reveals a lot. It's meant to reveal a lot. Because Cass says, Jack says that we're on the same side against Chuck. And the entity says, no, I'm on death's side. So that right there tells us there are three fronts in this war. Yes. Yes. There's what Chuck wants, what Billy wants, and also what the entity wants. No, no. What the Winchesters want. What Jack wants. Jack's side. Not Jack, well, but he, but our protagonist. There's our protagonist, and Cass is saying, you're on our side against Chuck. So it's us and Chuck. But no, the entity is with death. And that's our, that's our three fronts here. We have our side, Jack, Cass, the Winchesters, who Cass believes that, you know, Death and the entity are working with them against Chuck, but the entity makes a point to draw this line, make the differentiation to say, no, 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 it's not your side I'm on. I'm on Death's side. And and to me, that read very explicitly as Death has a bigger plan and a different plan than what you think you're doing yes yeah that's why i said the three that we have are chuck death and the entity because ultimately these are the three that have gusto these are the ones that have force in the plan and right now the winchesters are having faith that billy's desires for whatever billy's end game is will be compatible with what they want 
But ultimately, they have to have faith that she's doing that because she sure as shit ain't telling them that that's what her end goal looks like. And so I feel like we're being given the pieces that sometime soon the Winchesters are going to find out that this powerhouse that they thought was in their corner is, in fact, not at all someone that is going to be assisting them. Billy has been using them Mm -hmm. and basically being like, you guys stay in line and don't do anything stupid and my plan will work. But But work to what? Yes. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. But we want to know. We don't know. And, and, And again, it is difficult for, I think, the audience to to sync with what we're being told here because we see the the Winchesters, we see our protagonists being led by death when supposedly the big bad this whole season, hell, the whole series is, is defying destiny and finding their own path. Team free will. Yes. Yes. Alt... Uh, not alt Meg, uh, the the entity has Castiel's balls in her dainty little hand, and is very much enjoying it. Yes, and it's about while this kind of mild torture is going on that we see Dean and Sam watching as Jack pours this flask out in front of Cass's face. And the life force, question mark, question mark, mark. is (laughs) flowing into Cass. And Dean's just going, come on, come on, Cass, come on, as the life force returns into his body. And the entity is taking this moment to just rub the salt into the wound with Cass saying, funny thing about Death's plan is that she didn't say anything about needing you. And further clenches and crushes Cass until he falls flat on the ground. Yeah. And and I feel that she's also very much mocking him with this uh, facade of Meg, his friend. He she She's throwing out, like, feathers, Clarence, the pizza man. Mm-hmm. All these things that speak to his history with her. Yes. So really trying to make it feel like a friend is fucking you over. Really rubbing it in his face, yeah, this this relationship that he had. Yeah. But thankfully, whatever's going on in the library right now seems to be enough because Cass returns to his body and he coughs himself awake and the entity has one final cheers going, see you <laughs> soon. Yeah. Which I don't like to think about, so. But I, actually, I love this because I know that we talked about it in the after talk. Oh, well, I don't love this. The entity should stay far away. But (laughs) but the fact that we brought in Rachel this episode is awesome. It's so good. And I am very hopeful that the next time that we see the entity... We'll have Rachel back. That would be a wonderful way to do it. 
I, I, you know, I, I really love seeing the, in the, the two times that we've seen the entity and Duma and, and Misha, uh, the entity is like a super cool character, but if it was going to pick a form to stick with, I am all here for it being Meg. Yes, agreed. So I, so I, I do think that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Fingers crossed that that's kind of what they have envisioned. Yeah. Or maybe they'll choose some other dead angel or demon that they figure we ought to see one last time on the mm. screen. But who knows? Um, in the bunker, Dean is chastising Cass, calling him an idiot. But <laughs> it worked. He knows where the occultum is and that it is a place. And Cass kind of crows like, am I still an idiot? And Dean's like, well, yeah. <laughs> he gets a he gets a squinty glare for that one. Yes. And it's basically time to go and get it, but Jack points out that if Chuck checks in, he'll see what they're doing, which is going to be really fucking bad for keeping their plan secret. <sighs> if and like, Chuck- how was this not their concern before now? I know, I know. We have Dean saying, okay, well, if Chuck comes back and checks in on us, he's going to look for us here in the bunker. And we have Jack like, well, what if Chuck looks in on us? And I'm like, Jack, what? You you are a person who is here. And, and we have been talking about how disastrous it would be if Chuck were to see you. So. Yeah. So why? Why is this happening? Like. Yeah, like. If he checked in on the bunker before now and he saw you there, like, you're all fucked. So you have been just flying by the seat of your pants up until this point. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 wait. We introduced these posh versions of the Winchesters at the start of the film. Film. Because that's what it fucking feels like. <laughs> episode. And now we have to actually put it to use. Yeah. Yeah. D- Dean has a stupid idea. Which is not the first one this episode. (laughs) If Chuck is going to be checking in on them, then all he's going to see is Sam and Dean at the bunker, just as they should be. And slow pan over to Dean, Alt-Dean, and Alt-Sam, with Alt-Dean losing miserably at uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. I almost called it paper, rock, scissors. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I fucking, it was in my head. And then I was like, didn't I get chastised for this? But like, I don't even know why. Okay. <laughs> they, we, we, we go back to the armory, room 28, and we still are seeing these alt versions stuck in limbo. Yes. And we're getting a little bit of pseudo magic happening here, like instead of saying pseudoscience, where <laughs> Dean is like, well, we can use the rift spell, but we don't need Archangel Grace. We just need just a little bit. And Cass's Grace should be enough to get them out of the in-between there. Which you... is just, again, so much in-theory shit. I, I was just about to say, did you mark this down as one of your in-theory moments? 
Yes, I have literally <laughs> written down so many in theories this ep exclamation mark. Oh my gosh. So in theory, because they don't actually want to push through all the way through to the other to another universe, they just want to, you know, open the door a little bit. Just, you know, pull just enough so that these this Sam and Dean that are stuck in between realities can come back through. So, which I'm like, how is this just a little permeable? Like, we don't, we just killed Cass a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Fuck. Yeah. He just literally revived from being mostly dead. And we're just going to take his grace, whatever. And we're going to tear open the wall a little bit. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) I'm, I'm fine. They cast the spell. There's some electricity crackling, and then we cut to the four Sam and Deans gathered around the war table. <laughs> sharing a drink. Yes. And sharing histories. Yeah. So we know that the new two were hunters back in their destroyed world, and we get a little sense of their personalities, or at least their preferences, because they don't drink beer, just their dad's private label scotch back home. Oh, your dad is still alive? And Dean, and he spoils you? (laughs) He seemed, like, scandalized by the thought that their dad might spoil them, which... And and we are we are very heavily leaning on this. Uh, it's obvious here that the Alt Sam and Dean have a very good relationship with their uh, a relatively good relationship with their father. Yeah. During the after talk, I was like, these two have seen a therapist, and that's <laughs> like ultimately what is freaking out our Sam and Dean is like they seem well adjusted in their relationship with their dad, <laughs> but it also feels kind of distant because they say like their dad came with them, but they got separated while going through the rift, so he must be somewhere else. Like, oh well, cheers. Did I don't understand? They they showed up in a car. How? I'm thinking that the John in their world is like, I'm not going in the Fiat, guys. I'm going in the Bentley. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll drive in tandem through the rift. Like, exactly. something like that. Exactly. Is it, is it, uh, yeah, was it a caravan through the rift? Or did John, like, beam me up, Scotty, out of the back of the Fiat? Fiat? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, best guy ever. Clink. (laughs) Yeah, like you said, it feels very distant in that they're like, yeah, we came through together, but he, he's, I don't know. We lost him along the way. Oh, well, he was a good man. (laughs) Okay, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying to you before we started recording today that the posh winchesters these euro winchesters what i feel like is the kind of crux in their difference to our seventies they don't seem like family is their number one like this sam and dean feel like they have a comfortable but flexible relationship with their family members where it's not like dad's in danger we have to do something to help him like we need to put it together a plan or anything they're just like oh, you know, our dad's done such a good job and, like, look at our lives, la-di-da. 
Yeah, I, I was saying um, that these these alt Winchesters were really just good for a gag. They they there's no substance to them, and we can't, or at least I couldn't connect to them in any way. Because I see absolutely nothing of my Sam and Dean in these in these alt versions of them. It's it's so removed from anything that I know of Sam and Dean that I I can't even imagine any sort of history that would make them this. It's and just, I was like, yeah. whip out a textbook. I've been thinking about this so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have notes, apparently. Yeah, well, again, the backstory that they're giving us is that um, they're looking kind of down on the bunker. They're like, this is where you guys have your hunting operation located. And they're like, yeah, it's just the two of us driving around the country. And they're like, driving the country? <laughs> like, we hunt globally. And we have two pilots on standby. We are, they have shareholders. They have quarterly meetings. They have all of these things going on. And a paycheck that comes steadily from a hunter corp that their dad established. Yeah, they so, get paid for this. Yeah. And, like, the alt Sam is distraught to hear, you guys don't have a plane? And, like, so what I take from this is that this this distance with their dad and like essentially being their lives is 100% this business like the family business is their lives but not necessarily the family so the kind of explanation i was figuring out for myself was that in this world probably there was no push for the apocalypse there was no Abaddon. The men of letters carried on the way that they were during the 50s. They never got wiped out. And so John had his father. Henry was there. And he was raised in the men of letters. Mm. But rather than seeing it as just the pursuit of knowledge, he was like, well, we can do something to kind of get a cash flow from this. And so... I I really do not like the idea of this hunter corp being and we get paid to fly around the world killing monsters. I was thinking of it more along the lines of like a bag and tag type system or like their world would be this hunter corp would be collecting the monsters that are needed for spell regions and their world maybe has monsters as more of a animal attraction. Like they're not viewed as people. They're viewed as things and it will be kind of this. It's almost like the British men of letters, but then Americanized with capitalism. <laughs> that, well, yeah. So as you're, as you're saying on this, um, and and weaving a tail because like holy shit yeah a way to make sense out of s such utter nonsense um it, uh, but as you're as you're talking i'm like so it's it really is something like the british men of letters like we saw this and i know that you haven't seen season 12 
Um, But we saw a lot of what you're describing in season 12, in the introduction of the British Men of Letters. They were a, a business. They were above the, you know, American way of doing things. They were industrious and clean and and sophisticated in the way that they hunted monsters. So I I do like that that thought that these are the uh, that John Winchester built this Br- British men of letters kind of esque system into this business. Um but but my my biggest hang up is this Alt Sam and Dean do not seem to be men who make a business of killing, a business of murder, because that's what hunting is. And that's that's why I'm trying to figure out like how it would be either they have distanced themselves from that aspect of the job or that this world has a different relationship between humanity and monsters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw we saw Ketch, we saw Tony and Mick uh, from the British Men of Letters and the way that they operate within this like business of murder, with varying degrees of being removed from it. But you've even you've accounted for that to to think like okay so there's obviously something going on here if it's a different way that monsters the monsters and humans are you know, the world. <laughs> yeah, like we we saw in episodes like 11 and 12 about the hero's journey where the monsters had their own kind of fighting ring. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole like sub underground group that that's something that they do. And like it's broadcasted across the their own version of the internet and all these things and like they, that's our world and yeah. so you could easily take those type of elements and just say like there's this subculture that is aware of monsters and they need like a steady supply of werewolf claws or whatever the case is and hunter corp will be your providers along that grounds yeah and like to look at the way that this Sam and Dean behave compared to ours and saying that we don't see any of ours in them. And I'm like, that makes sense because these would be a third generation men of letters. And if their father was the one who created this business, they are 100% brought up within it. Yeah. And the discipline that comes with that culture and that these Sam and Dean have essentially been made into little automatons. Like their father has controlled the ways of their life up to this point and they haven't known any different. Like if from your waking moments, this is what you know. And like, we see Dean's not afraid of flying. They have their own pilots and stuff. Well, this yeah. Dean's never known control. So of course he doesn't care. Like he doesn't need to be the one behind the wheel because he's never been up to this point. I love you, B. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is so one good. of those codas where I'm like, I've written down the shit. And then I'm like <laughs> a thousand yards stare into the mirror. Like, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing with me, sharing it with me and the world. This is fantastic. Well, thank you, thank you. The other thing I was going to say though is that 
just on the way that we presented this alt, Sam and Dean, the way that it was written, um, uh, I would challenge you to compare th- this alt, Sam and Dean, to Dean Smith and Sam Wesson from mm-hmm. from It's a Terrible Life. Like, we had these two, these two characters, Sam and Dean, a Sam and Dean that were completely uh, grew up completely different from from our Sam and Dean and were completely different characters but I connected with them I I saw something familiar in them enough and and to that I would say that it's because they were our Sam and Dean just essentially brainwashed So what you would be picking up, or at least I would say that the story is trying to convey to you, is that there are these central tenements, these core elements to this world, Sam and Dean, that even if you change the package that they've been delivered through life in, that there still are these intrinsic behaviors. But I think what we know about the alt verses is that not all Sam and Deans are the same and that there's something particular about our Sam and Dean that sets them apart because mm-hmm. even Chuck goes and says, these are the ones like, these are my faves. And I feel like that missing element from the Euro Chesters is I mean, it's intentional. They don't have that core of family is the utmost importance. It's just, we do what our dad tells us to do and our life is cushy and comfortable. So why would we ever leave this cage? Like, yeah, yeah, I I do. I mean, I, I, I'm still going to say that I think that it was uh, still just sold for a gag, but oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was completely underutilized and stuff. You could have yeah. a whole episode being, oh, shift, this rift opened up in the armory, and now there's these doubles of us. Like, what the heck do we do? You yeah. could do a whole episode on that, but that wasn't what it was for. It was just once our characters thought, hey, wait a tick, what if Chuck checks in? Well, we'll just use them to wear our clothes and look at pornography and drink beer and that's all we're going to use them for like what a waste what a waste you're 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 right maybe that's what we're missing we needed a whole episode of op- just an opportunity to learn more about these care these this alt sam and dean and if given the opportunity maybe we would have you know seen something in them that yeah. would make them characters you know, worth watching and in- intriguing on their own right. Yeah, because like the fun of having doppelgangers is where are they the same and where are they different? Because yeah. you give them to us being completely different. Like I'm thinking of like multiple times in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, our characters are faced with their doppelgangers and the joy is in kind of the compare and contrast and the compare element just wasn't there in this episode. All we got was the contrast. Yeah. I, yes, that is it. That's the point. That's where, that's where they were underutilized. 
Yeah. They were straight up just a plot device. And that is just such a crime because for the amount of time that they're on the screen, I can sit there and write a page being like, this is what their history seems like to me. But my God, I would love to have more insight into it rather than just me making shit up. I do so very much love the shit that you make up, though. Thank you. You always make me feel better about about the things that don't quite connect when I'm watching it myself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, like, the joy of us being able to sit down and talk, because, like, especially with this episode, a lot of the things that I'm snagging on are, like, things that you enjoyed, and then the things that I enjoyed are things you're snagging on. And so then we get to kind of bring our notebooks together and be like, oh, I like (laughs) the episode more. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real gift. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. No. Two more hours of that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how about Sam's face when he was forced to drink the, the, the piss beer? Both of them with their pinkies up. I'm just like smushing my face one thing we can always enjoy about these kinds of um scenes these kinds of uh, gags is is seeing our actors have so much fun with it yes and i mean it sounded like the behind the scenes like making of this that at least jensen's stunt double had to like sit in for whatever Dean was not in the scene and had to memorize lines. And was like, fuck, like, can't you just hit me with a car? Because that's easier than me learning this page and a half of lines. Oh my gosh. So he had to, he had to learn lines. Like, I, I, I suppose it must've been for, um, like coverage. Yeah. That's to funny. be kind of someone that they could react against uh-huh. when they were the other Sam or their own selves. Right, right. Oh my gosh. Love it. Yeah. And he was the uh, cousin on Hero's Journey. Hero's Journey? The werewolf versus Wraith? Uh, Scruffy... A werewolf dude, the cousin. Yeah, the cousin. That's that's his stunt double. Was it? Wasn't it? What was it? Cousin Derek or something like that? <laughs> I can flip I don't back know. here. Chad. It was. It was. It was a ridiculous name. Like, of course, he's a fucking Chad. Let me see here. Hero's journey. Fucking the secret recipe. <laughs> Brad. 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 Shut up, Brad. I loved that cousin dynamic. It was so fun. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, you. You think so? So now Alt-Dean needs to lose the collared shirt and Alt-Sam needs to lose the man bun because they're slumming it. And the shock and horror on their faces as they are told this. Like, absolutely scandalized by this thought. (laughs) The hair? Not the hair! Oh my gosh. It was perfect. Yeah, I just... Again, I wanted so much more. I I did too, yeah. 
So now that Alt, Sam, and Dean understand the severity of the situation, you know, God's checking in on them personally. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sam, Dean, Cass, and Jack, they drive out to Ruby's location and they find this locked church that is guarded by a charging hellhound or two. <laughs> Oh my god, when they're walking up to the church and Jack says, guys, doesn't this seem a little too easy? I'm like, Jack, Cass literally died for this. What the fuck are you talking about? And I'm just like, writing wise, I'm like, you had to lampshade everything, huh? Like, they really you're just did. like, yeah, this was lazy. <laughs> It was so, I mean, this is, this is the first of many lines where I, it, it's just disappointing and, you know, yeah. salt round, but it, it, it's just really, it's really heavy handed. It's really flat. It's disappointing and it's lazy. So whatever. It's juvenile writing yeah i i would say it's fun for the superficial again like if i just want to watch this episode and have a good time i'm having a great time but we sit down and talk about this in depth every mm -hmm. time there's an episode out and to do that it's like oh fuck like yeah we're getting gummed up in molasses here and it's kind of pulling out our teeth yeah, pulling pulling out the blue light is uh, it's a fucking horror show. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Aries. Yeah. Oh, it's time to scream. <laughs> yep, scream a clock. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we we you know with that little piece of lampshading, we uh, we've got a couple hellhounds on our tail. Yeah, which apparently have just been hanging out here for the past 10 years. Honestly, like, so on the first watch, um, I thought that it was Joe had sicked the hellhounds on on them to follow them uh, yeah. you know, to the occultum. But here, as I'm watching the episode and taking notes with closed captioning on, I'm like... I now realize that they assume that it's Ruby that had the hellhounds guarding the church, and she just failed to mention that there were hellhounds guarding the fucking church. Yeah. Which, okay. There's, sure. Yeah. Okay, sure. There's multiple... Dean makes multiple comments on R Ruby wants us dead, or Ruby set us up. And and I'm like, why would she do that? That li It literally does not make sense. Why would she... Like, why would she intentionally put you in harm's way and hinder you when she's trying to curry favor with you to, to get out of the empty? Yeah, like, how are you supposed to revive her if you're dead? Exactly. It... None of this is real. Having a good time, having, having a, a good, good time. time. <laughs> so, I guess Ruby forgot to mention the freaking hellhounds, but that's cool. We get in. What, uh, yeah. Dean, Dean picks the lock instead of Cass kicking the door in. That's fine. And, and, but we all get inside and then we have to figure out where this thing is hidden. They barely get inside. 
Sam's holding the door while Dean, Cass, and Jack perform a search of this church. It's like a fucking D&D riddle. I know. <laughs> I, I had trouble describing because I was like, well, it's not a shadow that they use to point the way. But per Ruby's intel, the top of the cross will point the way. And when the moon comes out from behind the shadows of the clouds, then it casts through this one window that's in the shape of a cross, except the top of the cross has a little pointy on it. So, hey, let's pull up some floorboards. I, I, I love that they, that they were like, well, Ruby said the top of the cross will point the way and, and they're doing like this fucking World of Warcraft quest. But yeah. But I just imagine Ruby and Cass standing together in the empty and Ruby being cryptic in that way for what shits and gigs? Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't honestly, you just say it's under the floorboards? Go get it. Yeah. There's this one part near the pulpit, just dig it up, you'll find it. Like <laughs> It's not oh uh, yeah, okay, we're fine. <laughs> they when they pull up the floorboards, they find this really clean velvet bag <laughs> and there's a metal orb inside of it and it is etched with Enochian, instructing that quote in order to be in the occultum, the occultum must be in you. Seventh grade English poetry class, apparently. Just like God was creative, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. And Sam, this whole time that they're doing this, Sam is just at the door all hollering. And I, it's, guys, it's hilarious. Guys, hurry. Guys, I can't hold it much longer. Guys. <laughs> guys, you think you could hurry it up? We're getting these intermittent cuts of him just, it, it's, it, you know what it reminded me of? Those uh, Star Trek bloopers where you see um, everyone on on the deck of the ship, like throwing themselves around the set yeah. because the but ship. But if you just had got done hit. like the steady cam of it, then all of a sudden they just look outrageous. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Just imagine having Jared splayed out against the door there and just guys, oh my god, like and cut. <laughs> <laughs> but pretty high stakes right we don't know what to do with this thing and the door is coming down and so of course we cut back to the bunker where the alt <laughs> sam is currently watching cat videos on the internet and the alt dean is viewing racist porn that is available on dean's computer for his perusing <laughs> sam i mean like Sam is watching cat vids, and I'm like, does your world not have these, or have you just not had the time to discover them in your life? Yeah, what? I think father doesn't permit us to have idle time on the internet. <sighs> oh my god. Yeah, I think that there was some intentional and fucking weird compare and contrast like oh sam's on the internet watching cat vids and dean's on the internet watching porn oh oh brothers yeah i mean i cannot believe i cannot fucking believe that super fucking natural made me witness the words busty asian beauties on a tv screen in 2020 2020 the year of our lord for 15 years, we have maintained this gag. When will it end? 
three women who aren't even Asian. I just was like, oh, and this website has a bunch of innuendo being spoken. Click on me to enter. I'm mm. like, can I just die? <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. Yep, we saw that and heard that and experienced that. 40-year-old men can't watch porn in case their daddy finds out. Well, yeah, they'll lose their trust funds. So I'm just, again, like, every aspect of their life is controlled over in the old world. The only thing that they have for themselves is their clothes and how they express, like, the reason why Sam is refusing to take down his man bun because his hair is sacred. Like that's the only aspect of their lives. They have 100% control over. So no wonder they were scandalized when they were asked to change. Oh my God. B right. Where's the fucking thick? Where's the thick B? It's too long. I can't do it. (laughs) Oh boy. And it's also like, Ultimately, this is the closest that we get to see, like, some depth to these characters because they kind of like the simple lives in this place. Like, even if the beer tastes shitty, well, I'm the one who goes and grabs it and pops the cap off and drinks it. And there's no reports or investor calls. There's nothing to do but hunt monsters, drink beer, and watch porn. And that's, yeah, speaking to what you're saying, every single aspect of their lives has been so strictly controlled and they're getting this, this newfound freedom and, and liking it. You know, we see the, the alt Dean kick back and say, man, man, these guys have got it made. Yeah. And like, imagine being the 40 something and this is your first time kind of being out of the shadow of your dad. Mm -hmm. Like, the delight that they're experiencing for the first time, like, and it's porn. It's racist porn. <laughs> this shouldn't be your moment of illumination. Just you shouldn't just, have an Oprah aha moment over busty Asian beauties. Just think about Sam's face when he said, or Jared's face when he said, "Oh my god," when he took that oh first sip god. of beer. <laughs> that was so fucking good it's i so do really like the idea good. of them being these snobs uh-huh but also be like i guess we could slum it like <laughs> getting a little bit looser in the joints being around in the bunker uh-huh uh-huh yeah they've got it made and then we cut to sam holding back a couple hellhounds yeah S- still a hollering they've got it made yep still charging that door and Jack decides that he's going to pop this candy into his <laughs> mouth and swallow the occultum. Oh, there's the two-year-old we know and love. Yes, exactly. Toddler motivations. <laughs> and, like, Dean still doesn't really understand he's dealing with a toddler. He thinks he's dealing with a dog. <laughs> and he's just like, spit that out. Spit that out right now. <laughs> D- Dean's face. You what? <laughs> And honestly, like, appropriate reaction finally for this episode. Just what? (laughs) What? No, spit it out. (laughs) And Jack's like, no, it's fine. And he's got, like, this good little smile on his face. I don't even feel any. Nothing's happening. Oh, shit. There's that lamp shading again. (laughs) Yep. And he starts glowing. And then he disappears. And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
I'm sorry for that noise. But yeah. There's like some sort of Mobius strip, some sort of like fourth dimensional object that is the occultum. Where you have to eat it so that you can go in it while it's in you. And I'm like, this is too many. I don't like it. <laughs> we don't, I don't like, like it. it. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So so we have a moment of Jack not looking like he's going to spit it out so much as shit it out. But then he goes gl- <laughs> glowy and, and we get that lovely effect of a fucking spirited away. A ball of light, and then poof, Jack wakes up in a green place. Yes. It's this beautiful, scenic spot of nature, and a girl approaches him, mentions that humans can't get in here, so you mustn't be human. And he's like, it's a long story. I'm like, it's really not. You just say you're a Nephilim. Like, that's two (laughs) words. Long story. Oh, yeah, okay. And then Jack has to ask, well, why can't humans come here? The child elaborates to say, well, this is the the garden, the place of of humanity's origin. And God banished, God did love Adam and Eve so, but he banished them and now no humans may, may enter. Yeah. So a little better idea why Anael figured this would be a safe spot to wait out the apocalypse. I mean, if no humans can go in, then only angels and demons. So that really narrows down the pool of who could screw you over. I still but. don't like... I I think that Supernatural forgets so often that demons are humans. Or they were humans. Yes. yes. And... And we forget that. And there have been times when we have visited, like, uh, demon, human empathy in demons or the faint remaining traces of, of a human in a demon. And Well, and that a demon can be cured yeah. with enough human blood. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, whether it's just motivations or an escape from demonhood in this, in this cure. Um, it's like a demon is a human soul. It's just, it's why I don't like that demons, uh, when, when they die, they go to the empty. I, I don't know. I, I can't even, I had a thought about purgatory earlier today as well, where I was just like, what, what on earth? earth doesn't mean that we were told that Benny died in purgatory. You're Yeah, like did now all of a sudden he get kicked over to the empty? Like that's where you go when you exit monster jail? It's so weird. But yeah, I mean, we have these monsters and these demons that are human souls, but it's like the second you get bit by a vampire or you're twisted beyond recognition in hell. It there's no human soul left in you. Yeah, you get completely reclassified yeah. as this other thing, this less than human. Especially for an afterlife, it it twists me up. I can like understand why they've done it, but I do agree with you that like circling unfortunate implications 
of the choice that, you know, humans who were turned into monsters go to the same place as natural born monsters. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so, yes, humans cannot enter into this garden, um, but demons apparently can, but that's fine. Uh, and we are in the Garden of Eden. Yes, which is different than the garden in heaven that Joshua maintains. It would have to be. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I did I just hear the record scratch in your brain? Yes, I can't play with you in this space. I well, can't let's do not. it. Let's skip this space. Let's skip this place because um, I don't want to play in it either. We, we, it is very true that we seem to have forgotten that we have already spoken of Eden as a place and what Eden is, and it is the, the center of heaven and, and Sam and Dean visited it themselves in season five. And now was it named Eden or was it just called the garden? Ooh, fuck you. Ooh. Like, I, I straight up am taking this as, like, Joshua's garden. Like, he was an herbologist. He really fucking loved plants. Like, I, I'm taking it as, like, the nice spot in heaven that God wanted to create. Not as Eden. I, and, like, I take that also as a retcon because... You could feel the implications of Eden behind something like the garden in heaven. Yeah, you're you're fucking right. You may be right. I don't know that it was actually named the Garden of Eden. It was just the garden. And we, and maybe we, oh my God, I hate you. I hate that you're so good at this. I want to be mad about things. And then you fucking say like, well, but Remy... I'm like, Remy, don't be mad. It's so bad for you. I know. Remy, please be happy. And you're like, I do so... not want to experience. I'm, I just want to I'm just want to cross my arms and sit on my rocking chair on the front porch and be like, oh, but, but we already Supernatural had... wasn't like that in my day. <laughs> Supernatural wasn't like that in my day. Exactly. Oh, my God. In my day, the garden was in heaven. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to have yeah. to give you that one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Thanks. Backflip wins again. <laughs> Going for bronze in the Olympics at this point. I will. I will say, though, who the fuck is this child? I know, right? I'm like, this ghost is haunting this place. <laughs> she says her piece and uh, uh, Jack... Uh, asks of her well I, I i was told that this place would change me in some way and she says well yeah maybe if you were meant to find it you'll find out soon enough fucking ghosts fade out into the distance fucking vague ass vague mcgee <laughs> bye bye she just walks into the bush like the reverse Homer Simpson, okay? She's just <laughs> facing the bush as she walks into it. Meanwhile, in the church, Dean and Cass are panicking over what the fuck is happening. No idea that this would happen. No idea what's going on. 
it, and then back with Jack, Dean, he finds a well, fucking... Okay, go, go. Was, Dean and Cass are having a domestic in the middle of this church, and Sam is still braced against the door. Guys! Guys! <laughs> guys hurry, I don't think I could... It was, I, I love that it was you that said, we have an angel in a Nephilim, but no, we leave the, the, the tall human to, to, to guard the door. For real. I just sat there. I'm like, if you guys want to have this argument, like, Dean, go lean against one door, Cass, go <laughs> lean against the other door. You can argue over Sam's head. You've done this a buttload of times already. He's used to it. Just give him support. But... Jared, I guess, was on vacation for filming, and so his scenes were separate. <laughs> I I had the great fortune to be able to rewatch this episode with the knowledge or with the wherewithal to view it that way. That it's just two totally separate filming times, and and it's just so obviously them filming separately the scene and yeah and it was it it was a hundred times more hilarious than it even was yeah. before this whole yeah again this is a disaster i'm loving it it's a disaster i'm loving it but yes and and then jack has his you know starts you know has his what, what was it a, a, a peyote dream I felt like it was a peyote fever dream because <laughs> he finds a white snake in a tree and it talks in this really like deep demonic voice and then is like, who are you really? Who do you, do you want me to do it in the voice? <laughs> I'm just, I, what did I tell you about not doing that when I'm drinking? <laughs> I can't tell that you're drinking. We're in quarantine, Remy. I'm going to break, I'm going to break my mic one day. Who are you really? <laughs> Who are you meant to be? And then Jack just goes through a fucking mournful flashback sequence. It's the good and the bad, and it's enough to fucking... Aries. It's enough to send him collapsing back in tears. He's overwhelmed. So this snake is responsible for fucking sending him to blue screen of death. Oh my god. You know, the one thing the one thing that I took away from this little flashback montage of 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 Jack's experiences is that uh, Dean is apparently his favorite dad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did do like the terminally goodbye driving sequence with Dean and that's, I guess, also why it's so important to him that Dean forgive him. But why he and one... Cass had that conversation earlier of, when mm-hmm. do you think he can get over it? <laughs> like... <laughs> but not one scene with Cass, especially Cass. Uh, All it... we have is hugs with him. We we got we got a hug, but but we had we had the 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 Dean driving scene. The burgers, the the fishing, fishing, the horribleness that was the Malik box and the cemetery scene. It was all about Dean. It's okay. Well, I do love Dean. I think I that too. another writing team also really loves Dean. That's all I'm saying. Yes. 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 Cass who? 
And I saw it pointed out on Tumblr, and I kind of liked it, that it's a snake. Like, back in season 14, episode 15, we had Jack with the snake Felix, and Felix isn't feeling well, so I'm going to dust him. Like, the snake was the initial sign of, oh, that doesn't seem cool. Like, Jack, are you okay? Yeah, it was the first domino. Yeah. And then here we have gone like Ouroboros snake (gasps) coming back to a snake with the snake being the one to induce this sobbing sequence into Jack's memories. Oh, yes. Ouroboros. Thank you, Tumblr. That's so good. Yeah. Good job, Tumblr. We even had the Felix scene in uh, Jack's Mm -hmm. flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah, we saw him turn into what you would empty out of a Roomba. Uh, poor Felix. Yeah. 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 So Jack is just knocked flat on his back with this experience. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. We don't know yet if it's good or bad. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. And then in the church above Cass and Dean, there's a crackling orb of light that drifts down. And this is when Sam has reached his capacity and the doors bust down. The hellhounds enter, but this orb briefly illuminates the hellhounds before smiting them, like flashing bright and killing the wolves. Is is this another instance of Jack using his powers just a little, but it doesn't count? I'm like, this is... Uh, a backflip for you, Remy, okay? This is Eden <laughs> protecting itself. Oh, I hate that Eden is still within Jack. I know, right? That's, that's something I didn't consider. <laughs> There's going to be one terrible BM later. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. And, like, not to go down a rabbit hole, but I wonder if demons could actually get into Eden because, like you said, human souls. But more than that, I'm like, Lucifer wasn't a demon. And if Lucifer snuck in and possessed the snake to tempt Adam and Eve, like, is that still the lore we're going with in Supernatural? Then it still is just an angel who entered. It's not a demon. So... Yeah. Maybe gray area there. I I mean, we also don't know if demons would be able to enter. The only thing that we know is that we were told that well, we saw Joe inviting uh, Ruby to join her in Eden. Uh, but as we've already established, none of that happened. So, yeah. And, like, she could just be guessing. And if it had, like, Enochian written on the outside of it, again, I'm like, this is just screaming like only angels can enter. Mm-hmm. But um, this fucking Navi ball floats into the <laughs> church and then deposits Jack on the ground in a heap. And Jack slowly comes to and he seems okay? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? So... We go back to the bunker. We have a brief scene with the alternate Sam and Dean making the case for them living in the bunker, too. You know, like a club. (laughs) 
We could we could just all live together. Dean R. Dean is ushering uh the alt Sam and Dean out the door. Have fun. You're gonna love Brazil. It's gonna be good for you. Believe me, you don't want to be here. But yeah, but we have our alt Dean making the case. Well, I mean, like we 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 could stay here. It it would be fun. No, can no. we keep the flannel shirts? <laughs> no, no. Bye, guys. Yeah. But before they go, they're kind of on the stairs and the alternate Dean mentions seeing the car. And Dean's like, the car? And then they go, yeah. And like, they drove it, which is enough to make Dean apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the car. Do you have a backflip for, you know, we didn't Fuck say. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Fuck yeah. What I'm picturing, again, Maybe I'm going for silver. I'm trying to surpass bronze this episode. <laughs> but they say the car. Now, yeah. we know the Impala was with Sam, Dean, Cass, and Jack. They drove it to Ruby's place. So what this tells me is that the Sam and Dean who showed up in our world in a Fiat <laughs> has found the garage. And so I'm picturing them seeing like some old fucking clunker in the garage that maybe was like pure electrical at the time and like they're just enamored with this what like <laughs> dean would consider a piece of shit and they're like yeah we saw the car we yeah, we, we have seen it. we've seen the garage though and all the cars therein and and there's some nice classics in there yeah they're they're 50s um classics not exactly, you know, muscle cars or hot rods, but they're in good condition still. Yeah. Like, I'm just figuring they're going to see some sort of boat of a car down there with, like, <laughs> huge spoilers, like, a hard top convertible or something like that. And they're just like, yeah, we love that one. And then Dean would be like, Okay. Reason that's has not left my me. First choice. <laughs> Reason has left me because even though I know that I had the Impala, the only the car capital letters in my life is my baby. Yes. That's just it. So I picture them being like, okay, just glancing over the Impala, like wouldn't bat an eye <laughs> at it twice. But like they see some ugly like it looks like it has balloons for bumpers. And, like, button headlights. And they're like, oh, my God, look at it. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, like, Dean would just be like, the fuck are you smoking? Like, maybe they've baby's got... right here. <laughs> maybe maybe they've got one of Ketch's Aston Martins in the, in the garage still. Mm-hmm. I would love it to be, like, a Ford C-Max or something like that. <laughs> like, they just see this little electric car. And they're like, oh, my God, it's the best. If only we could take this into the in-between rather than our Fiat. <laughs> so that's my bad. Well, they, they they get pushed out the door. Yes. And it's not even Dean pushing them out. Like, all Dean senses danger and is like, <laughs> we better go. <laughs> and yeah, like... Upon first watching this, I just had the complete meltdown of, like, you guys didn't even warn this alternate Sam and Dean of your lives 
or like <laughs> what it would be like to try and get to Brazil as a Sam and Dean Winchester. <laughs> yeah, have fun in Rio. One, they have no money, we assume. And two, yeah, have fun getting arrested at the airport because did you know you're FBI's most wanted? Exactly. Like, they're going to wander out there. They're going to use their real names and just like, again, I'm like, these are little spoiled babies who've never been in control of their lives before. And you just unleash them into the world. And they're not going to know what hit them when the FBI is like, bitch, I thought these guys were dead (laughs) twice. They're fucking alive again? Again? They're going to get held by Border Patrol, and it's not going to be a good scene for them. Oh, man. But apparently there's a new Sam and Dean unleashed upon the world. Which I love. They're just out there. I love it. And and maybe a, a John Winchester who popped up in some Kansas cemetery following his bones. (laughs) I want him to be stuck in the in-between because I'm a bit of a bastard like that. (gasps) A bit of a bastard. Where's my scotch? Like, just wandering around like that for eternity. Oh, my God. I'm fine with that. (laughs) Last scene. Last scene. I struggle with placing this one because... Initially, it appears that Sam is outside of Jack's room and Dean approaches to ask if Jack's okay and they just don't know yet. But when Cass comes and opens the door, it turns into the kitchen. No. So you did mention this before where we were in the hallway. We opened the door, a door that didn't seem to lead to where it was supposed to go and we open up into the kitchen um but but i i was watching very closely when i did the rewatch and yes. when cass opens the door there's this little there's the there's the um the sink, sink with the mirror the sink with the mirror and then there's the uh, milk crate basket on the floor and there's the door, and Cass comes out into the hallway, and he is saying, you know, Jack, Jack's okay, but something's different. And then they go back through the door, and we see again the sink and the egg crate. And we open up into the kitchen, and I'm like, what? The kitchen doesn't have doors? What? what what's, what's happening? Yeah, I could have sworn at least that entrance to the kitchen did not have a door. Well, it does now, if you watch it. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> the door is a door. and I'll do backflips over gardens and the empty <laughs> and a door. I'm like, no, full stop. Because when we were talking about it, we're like, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Neither of the two entrances to the kitchen has an actual door on it. So where the where, what 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 the fuck is happening here? But but um also on the sink um right in that corner is the egg crate that we saw. So it, it's definitely shot in the same place. I'm struggling. Next to the door and 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 the entrance to the kitchen closest to the island does have a door. In this scene. Okay. 
Okay. But I, I... I struggle so much harder to accept this one piece of wood than I do anything else. <laughs> uh, in the first watch, I had that same kind of vertigo moment where I was like, wait, we're in the hallway. And then I expected us to walk into like one of the bedrooms. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that would be like the nice thing to do for your kid that's really upset is like, let him go to his room to cry. <laughs> but you're like, no, we're men. We have emotions in the kitchen. I assume it's easier to fit four full-grown men in recording equipment in the kitchen set than it is in a bedroom Gosh, set. that sounds so reasonable. <laughs> Too bad. Such a shame. <laughs> we, we open the door. We enter the kitchen. And um, how did, how did you put it? Jack is... Um, uh, uh, being indecent with his emotional ankle flashes, scandalously <laughs> open with the emotions he's expressing. I'm so used to like breadcrumbs. My brother was just shouting. He's like, "They're letting him act. He can act. They're letting him act." He is. Yeah. Yeah. See, my, my, they're letting him act moment was actually near the beginning of this episode where mm -hmm. he, he is just Jack again. I see Jack. He's got his bread sandwich and then he walks in popping bubble gum and, mm -hmm. and that's Jack and he was acting that so well and I was connecting with him in a way that I hadn't in the past couple of episodes that we've seen him. I was like, my alarms were raised. I'm like, bubblegum? Bubblegum? What's wrong with bubblegum? No, I was just stressed out. It was too much. Like, <laughs> I I got the vapors and I had to sit down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, then, I don't need... Well, then, how did you feel here where we walk in and Jack is sitting at the kitchen table and he is just destroyed by this... Yeah. By his emotions. Yeah. Like... Cass said that Eden is the crossroads of humanity and divinity. And I was like, hmm, kind of like a Nephilim is. Ah. And then to have Jack return from that place and now all of a sudden be crying. I honestly was like, he's overacting. Because again, my barometer is set to like, he makes a face twitch. And I'm like, oh, see, here's all the emotions he was experiencing. And now he's actually, like, showing emotions. And I, like, recoiled. I was like, it's too much. It's too much. I can't handle it. it I thought that it was done very well. I I knew, you know, the, the second that he collapsed in Eden, uh, overwhelmed by, by those experiences, the things that we saw him fail to process through yeah. his emotions before and now it seems to be hitting him all at once um yeah like, like the floodgates have opened yes 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 exactly we know the viewer knows what's happened and now sam De dean and cass um are 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 being brought into what we saw in eden and it now the floodgates are open. Now, finally, Jack is 
experiencing all of the loss and pain and understanding for all the things that have happened in the past few months uh, all at once. And he is now just begging forgiveness. Yeah. He's feeling real remorse for what happened with Mary. And like what happened was how he phrased it initially. But now he's like, what I did. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I didn't understand it. I had a mom too. And I was just like, (sighs) I'm so glad that you had the same thought that I did. Yeah. And like, when I say it felt like too much, I'm like not discrediting him. I think that he acted well. It's more for my own personal tastes. It was too much for me. It was perfect for the character and where he was. But what he was expressing wasn't right for that level. Yes. Yes. Satisfying is the word. Because what he's saying here is why why didn't i get it i i lost my mother too my mother died too why didn't i understand can you forgive me please forgive me and that is such shallow emotion mm-hmm. for the totality of what's happened here it's not even looking at Mary as a person in no. his life. It's just as a metaphor. Like, oh, I can make this substitute. Mary is like Kelly, and I felt this about Kelly. Ergo, I'll feel this about Mary. Whereas it's like, no, you spent months over in the apocalypse world with Mary. You had a relationship with her. There was a reason why she was trying to like calm you down and... Like, she wasn't just cold to him. She did care about him. And that's being completely forgotten. We, this is being framed entirely in Sam and Dean and how they must be feeling. Because Jack is saying, like, oh, I understand what you must be feeling about the loss of your mother. And, oh, I see how I hurt you, Sam and Dean, with with absolutely nothing to marry herself as a person, to the relationship that she had with Jack, to Jack's own loss in, yeah. in, in Mary. And even beyond that, how it must feel to know and to finally experience this feeling in I killed someone that I loved. It's, yeah. There is so much death, depth to uh, what Jack must be feeling right now. And we uh, did nothing but kind of project something onto our protagonist separate from even the person that is that is supposedly experiencing these emotions yeah yeah it was being framed in a way that would make sense for maybe sam and dean Mm -hmm. rather than something that was personal to jack yes yes 
and it was stilted and shallow and it was a real disservice to to what the scene could have been yeah we if if there had been more room in this episode for those nuances we could have perhaps explored them but there wasn't and so we had to do really broad stroke version of remorse so that we would understand that Jack's soul is back. And the question becomes whether they will forgive him because he's now showing remorse. Yeah. And he ends to say, like, will you forgive me? Please forgive me. And again, and it's like, just... I would say the question is posed towards Dean. Hmm. Just because of that initial conversation between Jack and Cass being like, Dean feels things more acutely and will he ever forgive me? And that whole psychedelic trip the snake gave him was centered on Dean. And so ultimately we are being informed that it is Dean who is going to decide whether or not Jack can be forgiven. And yes, this shot is very centered on Dean and is excluding Sam. And I, I we talked about this last episode where this uh, episode more than most, um, whether it, you know, whether it was a light Jared episode or not, uh, the second half of this episode even reinforced that the way that this episode was written, I feel was a, a like a glaring exclusion of Sam. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't really get the opportunity to look at Sam's relationship between Mary's death and Jack's cause of her death. We are more given Dean and how like aggressively he reacted to her death. Yeah. And then coercing Sam to essentially go along with his plan to trick Jack into the Malik box. Like Sam, unfortunately is, or maybe to a testament to his character of, he definitely had difficulty with what happened, but we saw in 1420 that he was sitting there like, I've lost mom. I've lost Jack. Cass is no longer on our in agreement with what our plan is, and now Dean's planning on going on a suicide mission. Like I'm losing everybody, and I don't want to be in this place. So I can see Sam as being someone that you could slide into forgiveness a little easier than you could Dean, who was prepared to die to kill Jack. I I agree with that. I do, but. It feels a little shoehorned into this episode, um, bringing back that uh, that old anger that yeah. Dean, can you forgive me? When when we've seen nothing but acceptance from Dean ever since Jack came back, yeah. And maybe we're supposed to read between the lines of, you know, Sam gave Jack a hug upon reunion, but Dean kind of scoured his expression and then turned to Cass for final say. So maybe from that, we're supposed to interpret Dean as having more of a distance between him and Jack, even if they're going to be working together in this fight against God. 
I just hope that we get a bit more substance than that. Yes. If we're going to be bringing it forward and it's not just something weird that, um, I, you know, salt round. I, <laughs> I hate so much that we are forced to approach these Buck Lemming episodes as something separate from the rest of the series. Yeah, that we have to do a lot of backflips to kind of fit the elements that they're bringing into the story, into, like, how their weave fits into the rest of the picture. Yeah, because there's no other episode... There's no other writing team where we think, well, this seems very separate from the rest of it. So what do we weave in and what is just a buckling thing? Yeah. What do we carry with us and what do we discard? Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, it's it, it sucks. It sucks. But here I'm thinking... Is this return to um, the the Jack Dean tensions uh, something that we are weaving in, or is it something that's just a buckling thing, and, and yeah. it's not going to be relevant to the rest of the to the rest of the series? I don't know. Yeah, like if in the next episode we're going to have Dean and Jack talk and Dean will be like, no, like I forgave you a long time ago or something like that. And then that's it. Or is it going to be a story beat that we have to follow? We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, it just, it just felt a little shoehorned in for, for, for this episode. Mm. It felt off beat from what we've been seeing um, of of Dean and Jack. So yeah. so I was a little confused when we started this episode and then ended this episode with a I I see that things are different, especially with Dean. Do you think that he could ever forgive me? And then now Dean, I can you forgive me? And ending on that uncertain note of can he? I I don't know. I thought that he did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, end rant. Aries approves. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe what we're being told to question is, are they just temporary allies and Jack wants to be sure that they're family again? And I had thought that we had moved beyond this, but we're, it, it, feels, it feels a bit, a bit like we're yeah. taking a couple of steps back here. Yeah, we could have just ignored this, but now we're bringing it to the front with seven episodes left. I know, I know. Please, let's let's play Happy Families for a little while. Just just the last while. Honestly, like give us some time where y'all are getting along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that but that's the episode, guys. <laughs> we finally made it. I, I told you, you wouldn't want to see our five-hour recording. Can you imagine if we had tried to do this in one go? My God. I, it would be like 14, <laughs> 15 
from last year where we got to the end. I was like, oh, look at this entire essay that I completely forgot about because I'm so sleep deprived. (laughs) (laughs) We've done some long nighters, but we haven't done a five hour one yet. We would have. Thank God we didn't. (laughs) If there was ever an episode, though, this was this one was it. For real. And now I'm going to choose you to pick one. B, what's your final takeaway? Fancy Winchesters. Fancy Winchesters. I should have guessed. I put too much thought into the post Winchester backstory to not pick them. (laughs) And I'm sorry that they got wasted on screen, but the fandom content could fucking thrive with these two. <laughs> just the fandom potential with these two I, I I will say that I can now leave this episode with a background for their persons um that I that I actually feel comfortable with because at you know coming in I'm really just no, this is not, there's nothing, there's nothing that can excuse this or justify <laughs> this. It's just a, it's a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, yeah. We just decided to have the fancy Chesters. Yeah, we just wanted to have the fancy Chesters, so. But if we had gotten just a little bit more, then we could have a, a whole new, you know, Dean Smith a whole new genre of of alt verses could could be born. Yeah. What about you, Remy? What's your final takeaway? Oh boy, I'm torn. Yeah. Yeah. Pick both. There's uh, too much shit. You're allowed to pick too both. Much shit. Uh So, my number 1 is that we used this episode to uh cement those lurking doubts that we've been having in Billy. Mhm. Good one. It's now I think uh textual enough to uh be taken seriously and and we're starting to like our characters um think of our contingencies and what if death is not actually on our side yeah i would really like if we got more insight into the malik box situation because i mean you know personally that i have been obsessed with the implications around that i so hope we do because with the Malik box specifically, you have said from the beginning that you think it's ulterior motives um, mm-hmm. on Billy's part. And I always said that it was an unexpected. Uh, yeah, that by the nature of Jack. Yes, yes. That, that Jack surprised even Billy, which is why Billy is so adamant that he's the only one who can defeat God. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I'm really interested in seeing how that storyline proceeds. I think it must because we still haven't let it go. We still are yeah. periodically bringing it up. Yeah. It is all going to come together. I, I, I do believe. Yeah, I agree. And, and what's number two? <laughs> and two would be us uh, bringing back around uh, this these these tensions between Dean and Jack and the or or just the Winchesters and Jack. With my number two would be that with Jack's soul restored. I'm interested to see how much time we're going to dedicate to uh, repairing the broken relationships and the distance that we've been struggling to to cross in Jack, a soulless Jack, feeling separate from the family and, you know, Sam and Dean. Cass has always, you know, been there, there. But Sam and Dean have not been able to repair that relationship yet. And we haven't really talked about it, honestly, textually, within the within the within the show since Jack's return. So Yeah. So with with Jack having his soul back, I'm happy about that. And I will also be very happy to see us finally heal. We talked yeah. a lot last episode about how we haven't healed. Yeah. And like to what you're saying, will we see the four of them as a family again? Or are they going to continue on being more allies in a fight? Yeah. Because that's what we've kind of felt for Jack in the last couple episodes, returning to the fold with Sam and Dean. Yeah. Yeah. I want my family back. I know. <laughs> but mainly Billy. Yeah. That, that. I can fascinating. Yes. Yes. Endlessly fascinating. Yes. 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 So that was season fifteen, episode thirteen, Destiny's Child. Yes, yes it was. And next week not next week. <laughs> next week we have no fucking clue what's going on and and we are entering a hiatus um not quite sure when the show will be coming back but it will be coming back and yes. the next time that we will be with you guys would be for season 15 episode 14 last holiday oh my gosh I'm immediately thinking of that Christmas romance movie. I'm immediately thinking we have seven episodes left. And is this our last hurrah on our monster of the week? I don't know. I'm just I'm scared. There's got to be more. <sighs> Next time. Next yeah. time on yeah. Supernatural. Yeah. And... If after listening to this episode, you guys could either give a five-star review or give a comment or just give a recommendation for our show to a friend or family member that you think might enjoy, that is always appreciated. And that's kind of the main way that we're able to reach a greater audience. 
Yeah. Yeah. We love talking with you guys and you can visit us on Tumblr, Twitter, our website, anywhere you get your podcasts. We are there for you. And if you want to hear our live meltdown following the (laughs) initial watch of this episode, you can find that out on Patreon. We have it on the $2 level, I believe. Yes. 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 All of our After Talk episodes are up there. And for two bucks, you can listen to the whole season's worth so far. (laughs) Yes. And that may can keep you warm through this long winter. Yes. This quarantine-esque, hiatus-esque introduction (laughs) into spring. (laughs) Aww. Well, guys, uh... Times are tough, but stay strong and stay safe. And our thoughts are with you. And we will, you know, see you next time. Yeah, we are here. You guys are not alone. And we're just happy to have you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Say bye, Aries. Bye, Aries. Do it again. Oh, he just kissed the microphone at the end. <laughs> B, between Tuesday and today, I feel like we've been recording for 10,000 years. And... <laughs> And the Eurochesters are still, still a looming threat in the distance. It's so far down the line. (laughs) Oh, my God.